The Ghost Club Number 5010 was at the time when I received the details of the story from his lips a Stuart man of 38 Stuart of hue or pleasing address and altogether the last person one would take for a convict serving a term for sneak thiefing the only other symptoms of his actual condition were the striped suit he wore, the style of cut of which he are still vogue at Sing Sing Prison, and closely cropped hair, which showed off the distinctly intentional lines of his head to great advantage. He was engaged in making shoes when I first saw him, and so impressed was I with the contrast between his really refined features and grace of manner and those of his brutish-looking companions, I asked my guide who he was and what were the circumstances which had brought him to Sing Sing. He pegs shoes like a gentleman, I said. Yes, returned the keeper. He very troublesome that way. He thinks he's too good for his position. He d- can't never do nothing with the boots he, mo- the boots he makes. Why do you keep him at work and in the shoe department? I queried. He ain't got no work to be done in his special line, so we have to put him at wherever we can. He pegs shoes less badly than he does anything else. What was his special line? He's a gentleman of leisure, travelling for himself before he got into the tolls for the law. He will know Marmaduke Fritz Tappelin, De Wolf of Pinhurst by the Sea, Warwickshire. He landed in this country of a Tuesday, took a collecting souvenir spoons of a Friday, was ju- judged the same day, tried, convicted, and there he sits in for two years more. How interesting, I said. Was the evidence against him conclusive? Extremely. A half dozen spoons were found on his person. He pleaded guilty, I suppose. Not him, he claimed. He'd be innocent as a newborn babe. Told a cock and bull story about having been deluded by spirits. But a judge and jury weren't to be fooled. They gave him every chance, too. He even came up himself, the judge did, to Panama House by the sea, Warwickshire, at his own expense to see if the man was an imposter. But he never got no reply. There was them that said there was no such place as Panama by the sea in Warwickshire, but they never proved it. I should like very much to interview him, said I. Can't be done, sir, said my guide. The rules are very strict. You couldn't uh, arrange for interview for me? I, said, I asked, juggling a bunch of keys in my pocket. He must have recognised the sound, for he coloured and gruffly replied, I has me orders, and I obeys them. Just uh, add this to the pension fund. I put in, handed him a five-dollar bill. Interview is possible, huh? I didn't say impossible, he answered, a grateful smile. I said against the rules, but we has been known to make exceptions. I think I can fix it up for you. So first to say, he did fix me up, and that two hours later, 5010 and I sat down together in a cell of the former, a not too clamorous stall, and a pleasant chat, in the course of which he told me the story of his life, which as a summarise, was to me at least exceedingly interesting and easily worth twice the amount of my contribution to the pension fund under the management 
my guide of the morning. My name, said the unfortunate convict, as you may already have guessed, is not 510. This is an alias forced upon me by the state authorities. My name is really Austin Martin Serenis. Ahem, I said. Then my guide erred this morning when he told me that in reality you were Marmaduke Fitztapping, the wolf of Pemhurst, by the Sea Warwickshire. Number 510 laughed long and loud. Of course, he erred. You can't, don't suppose that I would give the authorities my real name, do you? Why, man, I am a nephew. I have a good aged uncle, a rich millionaire uncle, whose art and will would be would break were he to hear of my present plight. Both their art and will are my in my favour, hence my tender solitude for me. I mean, of course, convicts always are, you know, but you wouldn't make any difference. He died of mortification, just the same. One of our family traits, that, so I gave a false name to the authorities, and secretly informed my uncle that I was about to set upon a walking trip across the great American desert, requesting him not to worry if he had not heard ear from me. For a number of years, America being a state of semi-civilization, to which males outside of certain districts were entirely unknown, my uncle being an Englishman and a conservative gentleman, addicted more to reading than travel, accepts the information as various as and suspects nothing, and when I am liberated I shall return to him, and at his death shall become a conservative man of wealth myself, see? But if you are an innocent, and he is rich and influential, why did you not appeal to him to save you, I asked? Because I was afraid that he, like the rest of the world, would decline to believe my defence, sighed 510. It was a good defence if the judge had only had only knew it, known it, and I'm proud of it. But in a virtual, I put, and so, not good. Alas, yes, this is incredible age. People, particular judges, are high-headed practical men of affairs, but their defence has suited more of an age of mystical tendencies. Why will you believe it, sir? My own lawyer, a man whom I paid $18.75 for championing my calls, told me the defence was rubbish, devoid even of lecturary merit. What chance would a man have if a lawyer didn't believe in him? None, I answered sadly. And he had no chance at all, though. Innocent? Yes, I had one. I choose not to take it. I might have proved myself non-compass mentis, but that involved my taking a, making a fool of myself public before a jury. <coughs> I have not much dignity for that. I can tell you, I told my lawyer, I would prefer a felon's cell to a richly furnished flat of a wealthy lunatic, to which he replied, that's always lost. And so it was. I read my defence in court. The judge laughed, and which you whispered, is convicted instanter of stealing spoons, when murder itself was no further from my faults in fact. But they tell me, you were caught red-handed, said I. Were you not a half-dozen spoons found upon your person? In my hand, returned the prisoner. The spoons were in my hand when I was arrested. They were seen there by the owner, by the police, and by the usual crowd of small boys, contract at such embarrassing moments. Springing out of the sidewalks, dropping down from the heavens, swarming in from everywhere. I had no idea there were so many small boys in the world until I was arrested. I find myself the co- 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 of a million or more innocent blue eyes.
Oh, were they all blue-eyed? I queried, think, taking, thinking of being interesting for a scientific point of view. Hoping to discover that curiosity of a morbid character was always found in connection with the eyes of a specified hue. No, oh no, I fancy not, returned my host. Not a man with a load of other fellows, spoons in possession, a pair of handcuffs on his wrists. Everything looks blue. I don't doubt it, I replied. But uh, just how could you defend yourself? Even every bit of evidence, and you, you excuse me for saying so, conclusive evidence, are that found, pointed to your guilt. The spoons were a gift, he answered. But they only denied that. I know it. That's why, where the BC part of it, of it came in. They were not given to me by the owner, by my lot of mean, low-down, practical, joke-loving ghosts. Number 510's anger as spoke those words was terrible to witness. As he stood up and down the floor to his cell and dashed his arms right and left, I wish for a moment that I was elsewhere. I should have flown. However, even as had the cell door been open, my way clear for the suggestion of the supernatural agency in connection with crime whetted my curiosity until it was more keen than ever. I made up my mind to hear the story to the end. If I committed a crime, get myself sentenced to confinement in that prison for life to do so. Fortunately, extreme measures of this nature were unnecessary, for after a few moments, Sir Ease calmed down, seated himself beside me on the got, drained his water, pitched it on dregs, to dregs, and began. Excuse me for not offering you a new drink, he said, but the wine they serve here, well, moist is oddly what a connoisseur would choose, except for bathing purposes. I compliment you by assuming that you do not wish to taste it. Thank you, I said. I do not like to take water straight exactly. I always dilute it, in fact, with a little of this. Here I extracted a small flask from my pocket and handed it to him. Ah, he said, smacking his lips as he took a long pull of its contents. That puts spirit in the man. Yes, it does, I replied ruefully. As I noted, he had left me very little like the flask. But I don't think it was necessary for you to deprive me of all mine. No, that is. You can't appreciate the unnecessary uh, unless you, uh, you have suffered in your life as I am suffering. You never set up yourself. I give him a, a glance, which, is, was, which was all indignation. I guess not. I said, I have led a life that is above approach. Good, he replied. And what a satisfaction that is, huh? I can't believe I've been able to stand this jail life if it weren't for my conscience, which is as clear and clean as it would be if I had never used it. Would you mind telling me what your defence was, I asked. Certainly not, said he, cheerfully. It's very glad, if it, I'd be very glad to give it to you, but you must remember one thing, it's copyrighted. Fire ahead, I said with a smile. I respect your copyright. I'll give you royalty on what I get for the story. Very good, he answered. It was like this. To begin, I must tell you that when I was a boy preparing for college, I had a chum, a brilliant, fun-loving fellow named Holy Hulk Hicks. Concerning these future various prophecies, had been made. His mother often asserted he'd be a great puppet. His father thought he was born to be a great grand general. Our headmaster at Scarberry, 
institution for the young gentlemen prophesied is the gallows. They're all wrong, though. For myself, I think that if he lived long enough, almost any one of the prophecies might have come true. The trouble was that Hulk Hulkley died at the age of 23. Fifteen years elapsed, I was graduated from the high honours at Breslinnose, lived a life of elegant leisure, and at the age of 37, broke down in health. That was about a year ago. My uncle, whose heir and constant companion I was, gave me a liberal allowance and sent me off to travel. I went to America, landing in New York early in September, and set about winning back the colour which had departed from my cheeks by my odious devotion to such pleasures as New York affords. Two days after my arrival, I set out for airing a Coney Island, leaving my hotel at four in the afternoon. On my way down Broadway, I suddenly started hearing my name spoken behind me in the board. I turned and see standing with outstretched hands to a lesser person, my defunct chum, Hulkley Hicks. Impossible, said I, exactly my remark. Return number 5010, to which I added, Hulkley Hicks, it can't be you. But it was, it is me, he replied. I was convinced, for Hawkley never was good on his grammar. I looked at him a minute, and then I said, But Hawkley, I thought you were dead. I am, he answered. But why should a little thing like that stand between friends? You shouldn't, Hawkley, I answered meekly. But it's condemnably unusual, you know, for a man to associate, even with his best friends, 15 years after he died and been buried. Do you mean to say, Austin? just because I was weak enough to, to come to a bad go. The dearest friend of my youth, the closest companion of my school days, part of my childish joys, intended to go back on me, here in a strange city. Hawkley, I replied huskily, not a bit of it. My letter of credit, my room and hotel. My dress suit, even my ticket to go to the island, or at your disposal. But I think the partner of, your, of our childish joys ought first to be let in on the ground floor of his enterprise informed how the juice you managed to turn out in New York fifteen years subsequent to your obscurities. Did New York look back here for, for boys of your kind? Or is this some freak of my imagination? That was an intimately proper question I put in, just to show that while this, the story I was hearing terrified me, I was not altogether speechless. He was indeed, said 5010, and Hawkley recognised it as such. He replied at once, Neither, said he, your imagination is all right, and New York is neither heaven nor the other place. And the fact is, I am spooking. I can tell you, Austin, it's just about the finest kind of work there is. If you could imagine to shuffle off your water goal and get in with a lot of ghosts the way I have, you'll be playing good luck. Thanks for the hint, Hawkley, I said with a grateful smile. But to tell you the truth, I don't not find that life is nearly bad, entirely bad. I'll get three meals a day, keep my pocket full of coin, and sleep eight day, hours every night on the couch. It couldn't be more desirable if they were studied with jewels mm-hmm. and mineral springs. That's your moral ignorance, Austin, retorted. Live long enough to appreciate the necessary being ignorant. But your style of existence is really not to be mentioned in the same circle with mine. You talk about three meals a day. 
This is an ideal. You forget that eating your labour. It's just begun. These meal, those meals have digested. Every one of them. If you could not, it could only understand it. You were pulled to see what a well, fearful wear and tear the act of digestion is. My life, you're feasting all the time, but there's no need for digestion. You speak of money in your pockets. Well, I have none. You don't reach it for over the two. I don't need money. The world is mine if I choose to pour. Contents of Drew's window to his lap in five seconds. But, co bono, the gems delight my eye quite as well. They were where they are. And as for Trevor Austin, of which you've always been fond, the Spectre Method beats all. Just watch me. I watched him as well as I could for a minute, said 510. And then he disappeared. Another minute, he was back he was before me. Again, well, I said, I suppose. Been around the block at that time, huh? You all have laughed at round the block, he ejaculated. I have done the continent of Europe, taken a run through China, halted the Emperor of Japan, and sailed for the home. Round the home, since I left you in a minute ago. He was a truthful boy, in spite of his peculiarities. Hawkley was, said Ceres, quietly. So I believed what he said, he aborted, li- aborted lies. That was a pretty fast travelling, though, said I. He must he make a fine messenger boy. That's that's so it's just I, I wish I suggested it to him. Host my host. But I can tell you, sir, I was astonished, Hawkley, I said. You always were fast, youth, but I never thought you would develop into this. I wonder you not out of breath before such a journey. Another point, my dear Austin, in favour of my mode of existence. We spooks have no breath to begin with. Constantly to get out of get of it out of it is no depravation. But I say, he added, whither you are bound to Coney Island to see the sights, I replied. Won't you join me? Not. I replied, he replied. Coney Island is tame. When I first joined the sector band, it seemed to me that nothing could delight me more than an eternal round of gravity like that. But Austin, I have changed. I delivered a good deal since... You and I parted the grave. I could say you had. I answered. I doubt if any of my old friends would know you. You seem to have the difficulty in doing so yourself, Austin. He replied ruefully. But see here, old chap. Give up Colin Island and spend the evening with me at the club. You'll have a great time, I can assure you. A club, I said. You didn't mean. You don't mean to say that your visitors had a club. I do indeed. The Ghost Club is the most flourishing association of choice spirits in the world. We have rooms in every city in creation. Our finest part is where there are no dues to be paid. The membership list holds some of the finest names in history. Shakespeare, Milton, Chancellor, Napoleon Bonaparte, Caesar, George Washington, Mozart, Frederick the Great, Mark Antony, Celsius, was blackballed on Caesar's account, Galileo, Fruit, Confucius, you you meet the Chinese, I queried. Not always, he replied. But Com was such a good fellow, they hadn't the heart to keep him out. But you see, Austin, what a lot of fine fellows they are in it. Yes, it's a magnificent list. I should say they make a pretty interesting set of fellows to hear talk I put in. Well, rather, Hawkeye replied. I wish you could have heard a debate between Shakespeare, Caesar and Revolution. A pen is mightier than a sword. It's immense. I should think it might have been 
I said, which one? I saw a party. They were the best fighters, though the merits of argument. Shakespeare was way ahead. If I thought you'd stand a chance of seeing spooks like that, I'd have given up cold line and go with you, I said. Well, replied Hockley, you're just the kind of chance you do stand. They'll be there tonight. At this lady's day, you might meet Lacia Borgia, Cleopatra, a few other female apparitions. Considerable note. This settles it. I am yours for the next the rest of the day, I said, when I adjourned to the room of the ghost club. Rooms of the ghost club. These rooms were a beautiful house on the Fifth Avenue. A number of the house you find of consorting court records. I have forgotten. It was a large, bald, brown stove structure. It must have been over 155 feet in depth. Such fittings I have never saw before. Everything was the height of luxury. I am quite certain among beings whom money is a measure, possibility of no such magnificent is attainable. Paintings on the wall are by most famous artists of our own other days. The rugs are superbly polished. Floors of the world are worth fortunes, but not only with their exquisite beauty, but also extreme rarity. In keeping with those, these were the furniture of bric a In short, my dear sir, I have dreamed of everything so dazzling, so superbly missant as the apartment which I ushered by the ghost of my condom friend, Hawkley Hawk. Hicks. At first I was speechless with wonder, which seemed to amuse Hicks at every very much. Pretty finer, huh? he said with a short laugh. Well, I replied in a moment, considering you'll get along without money, and what's the, and that all resources of the world are at your disposal. Is it not more than half bad? Have you a library? I've always been fond of books. Day 510, parenthesis to me. And so I was quite anxious to see a club of ghosts which could show the way literary treasures. Imagine my surprise when Hawkley informed me that the club had no collection of the sort appealed to the Bible file. No, he answered. No, you have, we have no library. Rather strange, I said, that a club which mean, which men like Shakespeare, Milton, Edgar Poe, and others, etc., long would Long should be deficient in that respect. Not at all, said he. Why should we want books when we have the real men themselves to put, tell their tales to us? Would you give a rap, a rap the smallest amount to possess a set of Shakespeare if William himself would sit down writing off the whole process business to you and any time you choose to ask him to do it? Would your fellow Scott printed narratives through the devious and tender spirits, Mr. Walton's spirit would come to you on demand. I tell you all the old stories over again in the t- tenth part of the time. It would take you to read the instructions of one of them. I fancy not, I said. Are you are you in such luck? I am, said Oakley. Only personally, I have never sent for Scott. Or Shakespeare, I've heard something lighter than, than either Douglas, Gerald, or Marriott. But last of all, I would like to sit down and hear Noah's swell animal stories with Davy Crockett. Noah's the brightest man of the age at the club. Adam's kind of slow. 
That's about how about Solomon? I asked. More to be flippant than with my desire for information. I was much amused to hear Hawkley speak to the great spirits as if he and they were chums of long standing. Solomon was resigned from the club, he said with a sad sigh. He is a good fellow, Solomon was, but he thought he knew it all till old Dr. Johnson told him of him, and then he kicked under it under his rough but it's dark again there <laughs> Solomon was resigned from the club he said he had a sad sign he was a good fellow Solomon was but he thought he knew it all until the old Dr Johnson got hold of him when he knuckled and then, when he knuckled under it is rather rough for a man who get firmly established you believe he is the wisest creature going and then, after a couple of thousand years, have an Englishman come along and tell him he never knew before exactly the way Sam Johnson delivers himself of his opinions. Johnson never cared whom he hurt, you know, and when he got after Simon, he, he did it with all his might. I wonder if Boswell was there. I ventured to interrupt him, 510. His extraordinary narrative, for an instance. Yes, he was there returned the prisoner. I met him later in the evening, but he, wasn't, he was, isn't the spook we may, might be. He never had much spirit in us anyhow. And when he died, in, he had to leave his nose behind him and then settle him. Of course, I answered, Boswell, with no nose to stick into another people's affairs, would be like of Fleo, the Desmona, left out. That's good, but go on. What did you do next? Well, 510 resumed. After I looked after about me and drunk my fill of magnificent of, on every hand, Mahogany told me, took me to the music room, induced me to Mozart and Wagner, and our very f- other great composers. In response to my request, Wagner played on a true version of Daisy Bell and Morgan. It's great, but not, not much for good Daisy Bell, of course. More like a collision between a cyclone and a cinnamon. In tin plate mining camp, in fact, but nevertheless marvellous, I tried to remember it afterwards and jotted down a few notes, but I found the first bar took up seven sheets of the fool's cap and so gave it up. Then Moser tried to hang his hands on the banjo for my amusement. Medicine sang a half dozen of his songs without words, then Gluck-Chalk-Chalk played one of Poe's weird stories on piano. Then Kalel came in, and Hawkey introduced me to him. He was a gruff old gentleman, and seemingly anxious to have florally become eligible, and I jumped from the rather fierce manner which he handled the club he had in his hand. There was not one or two other men in premise. Still living, he was anxious to meet. Dickens, too, was delirious of a two-minute interview with certain as his present purely mortal critics. Between you and me, the wink that Bacon gave Shakespeare when I spoke of Dickens Donnelly, met anything that the famous cryptogramium will know will do well to drink the bottle, elixir, of life every morning before breakfast and starve off to solution as long as he could, can. There is no getting around the fact that Sir Serenius 
added with a sniffer shake of the head, and that presently this luxury thought, with cynical tendencies, of going to have a hardest kind of time when they cross the river and apply for admission to the, to the golf club, ghost club. I don't ask for any better fun than that of watching from a safe distance the invitation ceremonies of the next dozen who come go over. And as for the Englishman, sir, who finally believes in and lies Lord Walsley, if I were not out of jail and I were able to do it, write him a letter, a warning that he would better revise his estimates of certain famous soldiers no longer living, if he desires to find rest at mysterious other world, whether he must eventually betake himself. They got the work swords he sharpened for him, and we discovered an instance he gets over here, there, in which his swords is mighted in pen. After that, Hawkley told me, took me upstairs and used me to the spirit of Napoleon of Ardemar, with whom I passed about twenty-five minutes, talking over his victories and defeats. He told me he never could understand it, or men like Winton came to defeat him all to loo, and added he had sounded and I drank on the subject and found only him equally ignorant. To the, uh, so the afternoon and evening passed. I met quite a number of famous ladies, Catherine, Maria, Louise, Josephine, Queen Elizabeth of Servers. Talking architecture with Queen Anne, I was surprised to learn she never saw Queen Anne Cottage. I took Peg Wolfenden down to supper and all together had a fine time of it. But, my dear Cerise, I put it at this point, I fail to see what this has to do your defence of your trial for stealing balloons. I'm coming to that, said Five One O sadly. I'm dwelling in the moments past at, at the club, because they were the happiest of my life, and I am loath to speak of what followed. For I suppose I must, as well due to the Queen Isabella, that I got in trouble. Peg Wufferton presented me to Queen Isabella in a stoop supper room, and while Her Majesty and I were talking, I suppose to, spoke of her beauty, everything in the, in the club, and my especially a half dozen old Spanish spoons on, on, upon the sideboard, which had, when I'd done this, the Queen called her Rutland, who was chatting with Columbus on the other side of the room, to come to me, which he did with ecstasy. I presented to the King, and then my troubles began. Mr. Farewell, why is your spoons, Fernand? said the Queen. The King smiled and turned to me, observed, Sir, they are yours. Uh, waiter, can we have those spoons up and give it to him? Mr. Vogue said, it is my just boots, Fernand, said the Queen. The King smiled, and turning to me, as urged, Sir, you're yours. A uh, waiter, do what do these spoons, what do these spoons, if, just do these spoons up, and give them to Mrs. Surrey's. Of course, said Fyweller, processes about this. Whereupon the King looked displeased. It is a rule of our club, sir. It was our old Spanish custom for us to present to our guests anything they happen openly to admire. You are sniff- surely significantly well acquainted with the etiquette of the club. Life to know that guests may not, with a priority, decline the government by the relegations of the club. 
where hospitality they are enjoying. I certainly am aware of that, my dear king. I replied, of course, I set the spoons with exceedingly deep gratitude. My renaissance was promptly solely by my desire to explain to you that I was unaware of such any such regulation, and to assume you and I ventured in to form you or your good wife the spoons that exacted my sincerest of admiration. I am not hunt, hinting. It would please me greatly to have been count for their possessor. You courtly speak, sir, returned the king with a low bow and his ample assurance, your sincerity. I beg that you put the spoons in your pocket and say no more. They are yours, verb sap. I thank the great, great shepherd, Spaniard, and said no more, pocketing the spoons, no more little exaggeration. Because, having always been a lover, quaint and beautiful, I was glad to possess such treasures, though I must confess to some misgivings, the possibility being unreal. Shortly after this episode, I looked at my watch and discovered it was getting well on towards eleven o'clock. I saw that Hawkley, for the purpose of thanking him for a delightful evening, and of taking my leave. I met him in the hall, talking to you of her feeds on the subject of amateur stage in the United States. What they said I did not stop to hear, but offering my hand to Hawkley, informed him of my tentative heart. Well, my old man, he said affectionately, I'm glad you came. It's always a pleasure to see you. Hope we you may meet again sometime soon. And then, catching sight of my bundle, he asked, What have you there? I informed him the episode in the supper room, and fancied I perceived a look of annoyance on his countenance. I did not want to take them Hawkley, I said, but Ferdinand insisted. Oh, it's all right, replied Hawkley. I am sorry you'd better get along home. They're as quickly as you can and say nothing. And all above all, don't try to sell them. But why, I asked, I much prefer to leave them here if there's any question of property of my... Here, continued 510, Hawkley seemed to grow impatient for me. He stamped his foot angrily and begged me at once, or more there might be trouble. I proceeded to obey him, and thus left the house instantly, slamming the door or something, angrier behind me. Hawkley's unceremonious way of speeding his parting guest did not seem to me exactly what I right to expect at the time. I see now that his object was, and quitted him, with any intention to be rude. Though I must say, I ever catch him again, I wring an explanation from him, for being introduced to me in such such bad company. As I walked down the steps in 510, the chimes of the neighbouring church were clanging out the hour of eleven. I stopped on the last step to look for a possible handsome cab. Then, portly gentleman and comforted, my lady started to mount the stoop. A man eyed me narrowly for a moment, and then, sending the lady up the steps, he turned to me and said, What are you doing there? Just left the club, I answered. Oh, it's all right. I was Hawkey, Hawks, guess. Who, whose ghost are you? What the deuce are you talking about? Well, he said rather gruffly, much to my surprise and discomfort. I tried to give you a civil answer to your question, I returned. Dignally. I guess you're crazy, you're crazy, or thief, he rejoined. You see there, friend, I put in rather impressively. Just remind me, my one thing, remember thing. When you're talking to a gentleman, 
I don't take remarks of that sort from anyone, spook or anyways. I don't care if you're the ghost or the Emperor Nero. If you give me any more of your impertinence, I'll disbelate you to the four quarters of the university. Then he grabbed me and shouted for the police. I was painfully surprised to find, instead of coping mysterious being from another world, I had a two hundred and ten pounds of flesh and blood to handle. The populace began to gather. A million and a half small boys of whom I'd already spoken. Mostly street urgent gamers, owing to the lateness of the hour, sprang up from all about us. Handsome cab drivers, attracted by the noise, altercation drew up to the sidewalk to watch developments, and then, after the usual fifteen and twenty minutes, the blue coat emissary of justice appeared. What's this? he asked. I have detected this man having my leave my house in a suspicious manner, said my repository. I have been I have reason to suspect him of feeling. Your house? I exclaimed with fine scorn. I got you there. This is the house of the New York branch of the Ghost Club. If you want it proved, I turned. I added, turning to the policeman, ring the bell and ask. Oh, you think that your affair puts a pigeon? Observed the policeman. It's a Sunday the second, a second, which is second. Oh, come out! Oh, come now! I cried my captor. Stop this nonsense! Oh, I brought you to the department. This is my house. I've been and has been for twenty years. I want this man searched. Ah, uh, I have no arrest. I have no warrant to print in me to investigate the contents of this gentleman's clothes. Turn the intelligent officer or the force. But uh, yeah, the kiss and take you solemn alibi that you are a ransom. Believe the gentleman was what? On heads of his corporate business? On your property? Or de- judge, judge you, did you blug it? He said it would be responsible to the alleged owner of the house. Take him to the station. I refuse to move, I said. Oh, not to carry, yes said the dependent policeman, and advise you to finish your location. A.V., don't uh, you tell me, use my club. The rats, the only way I get with get with the avalanche. Oh, well, if you insist, I replied, of course, I'll go. I have nothing to fear. You see, and it's 510 to me, in paraphernalia. The thought suddenly flashed across my mind. And if it was, it was, as my captain said, the house of really his, and not the coats, clubs, the whole thing was only my fancy. The spoon itself had turned out to be entirely fanciful. So I was all right, at least I thought it was. So we trotted along the police station. On the way, I told the policeman we had a story which impressed him, so that he crossed himself a half dozen times, and uttered numerous injectory prayers. Mia, the... Sentinus Provisivas and having holy mercy and others of like import. What did the ghost of the Donald Connor do here? he asked. Yes, I replied. I shook hands of it. Uh, let me uh, shake your do not hand, he said, his voice trembling with emotion. Then he whispered in my ears, I don't believe you to be innocent, but it's it isn't for the love of Dan. You will is you let escape. Thanks, old fellow, I replied, but I'm innocent of wrongdoings. I can prove. Alas, said the convict, I am not 
be so. When I arrived at the station house, I don't find it learned that spoons all grew real. I told my story to a sergeant appointed the monogram GC on spoons as evidence that my story is correct. But even the, that told against me, for alleged owner's initials were GC, his name I behold. A monogram only served to supplicate his claim to the spoons. Worst of all, he claimed he had been robbed on several occasions for this, and by midnight found myself locked up in a dirty cell to wait trial. I got a lawyer, and as I said before, even he decided to believe my my story and suggested that insanity dodge. Of course I wouldn't agree to that. I tried to let him to subpoena Fred, Fred Ferdinand, Isabella, and Ipropides, and Hockley Hicks in my, on my behalf. He was, he was to sit there and shake his head at me. Then I said he was going up to the Venetian Opera House. Some fearful night at the clock struck twelve, and tried to serve papers of Wogan Wagner's book, all of which he was treated as unworthy of a mother's consideration. When I was tried and tested and sentenced to life, his BC home, well, I have one strong hope to buoy me up, and if you realise, I'll be free tomorrow. What is that? I asked. Why? He answered with a sigh, as a bell was summoning him to supper. Why the whole horrid business had been so weird and gully? I mean to believe it's all a dream. If it is, why? Why I wake up and myself at home in bed. That's all. I clung to the hope for nearly a year now, but it's getting weaker every time. Yes, five one o. Oh. I I answered. I was rising and shaking him by shaking him by the hand, parting. That's a mighty full-on hope. Because I'm pretty wide awake myself at the moment. I can't be part of your dream. The great pity is you you didn't try the insanity dodge. Tutley answered. That was the last result of a week. That is the last result of a weak mind.